The game not done yet. Let me finish the game and I'll come pick you up. But terrible dad, terrible dad. Well, this is after Easter, post-Easter, and uh, we talked about some food. If you came to Good Friday, I showed some food stuff. Um, here's the question. You don't have to talk to anybody about this, but just kind of think about this because I'm going to ask you this question. The question is, what's your favorite post-Easter dish? A lot of times we have our meals, we have our egg hunt and all that, and you have all this food stuff, you know, just leftovers. And so what do you do with it? Like, what do you do? What's your favorite post-Easter dish? Okay, you got that in mind? Okay, some of you did some egg hunts and whatever, or your kids went and got some eggs. What do you do with all those eggs? How many of you uh, love deviled eggs? You love deviled eggs? Okay, you ever tried deviled eggs with bacon? Yeah, you do deviled eggs and you stick that, light the bacon there, crispy bacon. Okay, I, I know my wife loves uh, uh, ham and cheese sandwich, grilled ham and cheese. Anybody like grilled ham and cheese as leftovers? How about grilled ham and cheese French toast? Ooh, yeah, 9 o'clock service, nine, ham and cheese, French toast. I would, I would sprinkle some sugar on that, Bob, you know, bring a little sugar on that, and then get my torch out and caramelize the top and make it just crispy on the outside. Yeah, okay, so now you, you do the ham. Everybody say Easter, you get ham and all that. What do you do with the ham bone? Simple Portuguese bean soup. You got to make Portuguese bean soup with the ham bone. Um, how many of you like the Portuguese bean soup, like more watery, more watery? How many of you like it thick, thicker? Yeah, I like mine thick. You get the Portuguese sweet bread and you dip it in there and then you eat it and the thing just drips out of your mouth. With you. And oh, then, then you put kimchi on the top of that. Yeah, ever tried that? Kimchi. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with just leftover stuff. After Easter, it's not about leftovers. Easter is a resurrection. Easter is a new season. So we're going to start something new starting today, a new series. And we've been kind of listening to people talk. We've been watching things around the world. We're starting a new series, and it's called Unprecedented. We've never been more fill in the blank. Unprecedented. There's no precedence about the world that we're walking into, the times that we're going to be asked to live and we're walking into this, this new time. There's never been a time like this before. Now, we have argued, you know, the human civilization has, has debated uh, politics and policies and foreign policies, you know, from the beginning of time. And we've gone through wars, we've survived wars, we've survived pandemics before. But never before have we been asked to wrap our minds around everything all at the same time. I mean, there's never been before such a sharp division within uh, the politics, within, within churches, within communities. Never before have we been, uh, I mean, can somebody answer me this question? Who gets to say what people say, when they say, how they say it? You know, when they say, well, you cannot say that. So, who said that? Well, they said, who's they? I'm still trying to define what that is. Who can tell me what I can say, what I cannot say, if it's under the umbrella of Constitution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we're walking into those kind of times. Uh, we have been dealing with this pandemic thing for over two years now. Can anybody tell me what is the accepted protocol about even post-pandemic stuff? When do you wear the mask? Can you wear the mask on the plane? I don't know. And planes are now, you know... In addition to all that, so all of these things I'm talking about is all happening at the same time. In addition to all of that, 
we have to kind of figure out what to do with this madness that's going on with this almost a demonic uh, dictatorship that's happening in parts of the world that's threatening our global security. And I'm not just talking about what's going on in Europe. It's happening in Asia. You got North Korea testing these hypersonic missiles on North Korea. And then you got stuff going on with Iran and you got stuff going on with, you know, with China and you got stuff all over the world. And we have to deal with those things all at the same time. That's why I say we're walking into a world that I don't think we've ever walked into before. It's unprecedented times. And we've been hearing people make different comments about how it's, it's affected their lives because it trickles down to our private lives. And so we asked the question, we've never been this way before. We've never been what before? We've never been more divided before. We've never felt more empty, more frustrated. We've never felt a sense of stress in our lives more before. Today I want to talk about tired. We've never been more tired before. We're living in unprecedented times. We never felt more tired before. Now, for me, you know, just living life gets me tired. I don't know about you. And sometimes there are simple solutions to tiredness. You tired? Well, go sleep early. That's not my problem. My problem is I sleep early, but I get to bed late. So, so Joy and I are watching TV. You know, we watch and, you know, whatever, whatever we're watching on TV. And, uh, and then, and then I, I, I wake up and she's not there. That it's on a different show. I've missed the whole show. And uh, she's in the room and she's snoring. I mean, she's not, you're not snoring. She's, she's, she's not here. Okay, she left already. But, uh, you know, I go in the room and the lights are out and everything. And it's like, what happened? Next morning, she says, well, you know, you, you cannot watch TV with your eyes closed. But I sleep early, but by the time I get to bed, my eyes are wide awake. I can't sleep. And so the next day, it's a whole repeat cycle. Yeah? Yeah. Go sleep early, but go to bed late. Go sleep early. So sometimes the solution isn't that simple. Sometimes our tiredness is related to maybe our health and nutrition. You know, we say, get in shape. And I know guys say, well, round is a shape, so I am in shape. And I tell you, looking at this church, we're in shape, guys. We're in good shape. Go to the steak dinner. We'll get in better shape, yeah. But it's not about just, you know, I go to the doctor. He said, well, you got to watch your weight. I said, I do. I, I do watch my weight. I, I watch what my skill tells me. But when I watch my weight, you know, when I watch my weight, it doesn't tell me the numbers. It, he said, well, then you got to watch what you eat. I said, I do. I watch what I eat. I think everything is in front of me. I watch the hamburger. I watch the pizza. I watch what I eat. And we can talk about, you know, health, nutrition. We can talk about getting more sleep. I want to talk to you about something a little deeper than just being tired. I want to talk to you about weariness. Weariness. A deep soul kind of weariness. It's when it begins to strike your bones. It's a weariness that, um, you know, it's one thing to be tired. But when weariness takes residence within you, uh, that kind of weariness. I think weariness, I, I define it this way, that when, it's when your persistent efforts fail to produce what you expected. We have a sense of expectation. And so we try, and we try again, 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 and pretty soon it's like, why am I trying so hard? 
It's not producing what I'm expecting to have happen. It's when what you receive doesn't equate to the effort that you've given out. That you seem to be fighting, fighting, fighting for whatever that is, for your marriage, for your relationship, for your kids to listen to you, for your job, for your work. You're fighting, 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 but the results are taking longer in coming back. And after a while, you just have this sense of not just tiredness, you have a weariness from within. And all you've been doing is just trying to survive. And trying to survive, you do more, and you do more, and you do more, and you get overworked. We've never lived at a time where we feel we've been more overworked. We never lived in a time where we feel we've been more overcommitted. We try to do this and this and this because they need this, 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 this. We've never been more overcommitted, and to help us get there, we we have to stimulate ourselves. So we've never been more overly caffeinated before in our lives because we drink this, and we eat this, and we drink these well, bull, whatever, and, uh, and we, we think it's going to keep us up. But when we look at the results, it's just not happening. And then we hear the news of everything that's going on in the world. It's like, how do I handle this stuff? We've never been more overworked, but feel more underappreciated. Does it even make sense? For me to put in all this effort, it's never enough. Everything in life is just so demanding. Whether you're a young person or a young couple just trying to make ends meet, just trying to get a handle on life, but you got, you got young kids. And although you're this young family, you feel that you're just changing too many diapers. Or maybe you're an older couple taking care of your parents, and all you do is change diapers. I told Brandon, don't lose the art of changing diapers because pretty soon. <laughs> but we give, we give, we give, and it doesn't seem to come back. Maybe we've just been, we've been believing for a baby, and we've never gotten any answer. Or we've been wanting to be healed. We've been praying. We've been contending for healing, and yet we've never, it's never happened, and we got to enter another round of chemo. In other words, this burden that you've been asked to bear has put a hold. That your life has been just put on hold. A guy named Joe Bloom wrote an article in uh, Desiring God, and he said this about weariness. He said, our weariness results from the cumulative, multi-layered intersections of life's complexities, bodily frailties, emotional break, heartbreaks, and the consequences of sin. It just surpasses understanding. We don't get it. When you enter that state of weariness, where it's this soul, this deep soul weariness, you can't understand. I don't know how it got to this point. Why am I feeling like this? And how do I get out of this? It doesn't make sense. Because you see, when you enter this state of, of soul, deep soul weariness, it doesn't get resolved simply by saying, Hey, put on a happy face. And we stick emojis all over the house. It doesn't happen with just little phrases like, no worry, beef curry, we get them. doesn't happen like that. You don't resolve weariness with just short phrases like that. I remember when my son Jared was playing baseball when he was much younger. Um, I ran into this lady in our condo just recently, and she goes, so how old is your son? I said, oh, he's 20. She goes, wow, 20. 
He could be your bodyguard, yeah? I don't know what you're feeding him. So from this little kid, he's, he's really grown up. And, uh, but I was thinking about him and when he played baseball when he was much younger and, and he had a terrible game. He, he struck out and then he would go into the field and he would miss a simple ground ball and then come up to bat again and he'd stand there with a bat on his shoulders. And, and uh, you know, everybody knew I was a pastor, so I cannot like scream out things. But under my, my breath, I'm going, get out, get, move closer to the plate. How are you going to hit the ball? You can't even, like I smile like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So he stands there like this, and the ball, strike one, strike two, strike three. Let me swing the bat, swing the bat, my goodness. And, and then he puts his head down, and he walks back to the dugout, and he's crying. And so I had to go over there to try and get him out of his weariness. You know, I tried to, to, to talk to him and, and give him the, the three words that every child wants to hear from their father. And so I went up to him with this compassion in my heart, and I looked at him, and I went, suck it up. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> Uh, so he's kind of messed up today because it didn't work. But <laughs> when you're in this state of weariness, you can't get out of it just by somebody saying something to you. It goes deep. It goes deep. The danger about weariness is that it's all part of the strategy of the enemy. The enemy's strategy is if he can't take you out, he'll wear you down. He can't take you out, he'll wear you down. And the Bible says, don't give him a foothold. Don't even give him a little crack in the door. You know, the, the greatest battle is taking place, not in Ukraine. The greatest battle is taking place right here. It's in your mind. And our minds are great at thinking up some good excuses of why life is the way that it is. And the enemy will feed that to you and you're battling. And your degree of weariness is going to depend upon who's winning that battle that's going on up here. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired because I've, I've tried doing this and it's not working. I've tried talking to my husband about this. I tried getting my wife to change and it's just not working. And so I'm tired of all of this. Weariness is a direct result of who's winning this battle in our minds. Oh, but Pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know what I had to go through. You don't know what he did to me. And I'm tired of doing this because, you see, the more I try, the more I fail. And the more I fail, the less I want to do it anymore. And so what we do is we check out. I can never do enough to please my dad. I can never do enough to get my mom to say I'm a good person. And in our minds, we fight this all the time. See, when our persistence fails to produce what we expect, and we're, we stare at the strings of failures all along the way, we then settle for nothing more than where we are right now. That's it. That's just it. That's the way life is going to be. That's the way God made me. That's the way my dad phrased me. That's what's happened. And we settle for right where we are right now when we're done with trying because we're weary, we, we, we tap out. And guess who wins? See, our weariness is directly related to this battle that's going on. Write this down somewhere. And I want you to post it somewhere on your, on your refrigerator. I don't know if you, people do that anymore. I don't, we used to do that. 
or next to your bed. Here, write this down. Don't allow negative thoughts to keep you settled where you're at. Don't let negative thoughts keep you settled for where you're at. We will grow weary, and the Bible says, even when we do good, even though we're trying to be the best father, husband, wife, child to our parents, student in school, uh, employer for our company, even though we're trying to do our best, we will get weary. Check out what Galatians says. Galatians says, let us not become weary doing good. For at the proper time, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Don't grow weary doing good. Let me show you some things. And you tell me what is the, the common uh, uh, denominator that you see in all of this, all right? Here is a coin that was minted back in 1794. It was minted with a face value of $1. 1794. In 2013, it was auctioned off for guess how much? $10 million. Minted with a face value of a dollar, it's now worth $10 million. And let me show you another one. This dollar was minted in 1870 with a face value of a dollar. It was recently auctioned off and valued at $1.3 million. Now you might say, Pastor, that's because those are ancient coins. Well, yeah, relatively so. All right, let me show you another one. This is a, a, a Lincoln penny. Anybody recognize this? Anybody under 30 recognize this? <laughs> you guys don't deal with cash anymore, yeah? Everything is card, you know, Apple Pay, whatever. We used to have these things called pennies. The penny is worth how much? Face value. When it was minted, it was worth one cent, one penny. This was minted in 1943, right about the time Baron was born, I think. No, no, no. Yeah, close. So it's not that far away. It was kind of recent, yeah? One, it was minted for one penny. You know what it's valued? $10,000 for this penny. The uniqueness of this penny was it was minted at a time of World War III. Or three, who? Not, not that I'm prophesying anything. <laughs> minted at a time of World War II, uh, and copper was very scarce then. And so uh, they, they then minted coins out of steel. And this is one of the rare copper coins. So it's valued now at $10,000, 1943. Hey, let me show you one more. This was minted in 1999. When uh, they started minting states on these quarters, so this is a Connecticut quarter. It was minted at a face value of what's a quarter worth? 25 cents. 25 cents, right? You know what it's worth today? 1999 it was minted. What is it worth today? $250. But look at the defect on the top. And it, it actually is worth more because of that defect. That defect happened in the minting process. It was kind of off-centered, and it was stamping these quarters out until finally somebody found the mistake and they stopped all the presses. But these things went out in circulation. So although it was minted for 25 cents, you could actually get $250 for this right now if you get it, if you find it. Okay, now, take those, and there are many, many more. 
What is the common denominator that you see in all of the coins that I just showed you? What, what, what do you see? The increase in value. From the time they were minted to the time that they were actually valued, it's all increased in value. Now what made them increase in value? It's not just the age of the coin, it's the fact that they're still available. If you had some of these coins or that, that, that defective quarter and somebody said, ah, oh, it's a defect, and they threw it away, it wouldn't be worth anything. But because it's out there still in circulation, or even the old ones that's been traded for like $10 million, it's still available to be used, it's increased in value. Okay, what am I saying here? You know what we do when we feel weary? A lot of times we check ourselves out. We say, well, I'm not worth anything. I've been trying to do this thing for so long, and although God minted you with value, and you've increased in value, we actually devalue ourselves because life is too hard. I'm growing weary. And I would say, no, don't take yourself out of circulation. Even though you're having a tough time as a mom, be the mom that God made you to be. Be the husband that God made you to be. Be the man that God made you to be. Be the student, be the child, be whatever that God made you to be. Don't check yourself out because you're getting this sense of weariness in you. We all get weary, but don't grow weary doing good. Keep yourself in the game. Keep moving on. You know, when, when I uh, passed the, the torch, so to speak, on to Brandon to, to oversee this church, people say, well, what you going to do now? And Joy said, don't stay home. You got to go out. I don't want you at home. But you ain't throwing me away because I've been minted. I have been minted in 19 and my present value today priceless priceless <laughs> don't check yourself out just because you're feeling this sense of weariness we all get weary we all get tired and Galatians says if you keep yourself in the game if you keep yourself in circulation then you will reap the rewards in due time at the proper time you'll reap the rewards. So, how do we then guard ourselves against weariness? Because once we hit that point where we're just weary on the inside, we've got to fight to get out of it, and you can. But how do you guard yourself? Isaiah 40, the scripture that we use as a, a, a capstone scripture for this church. When we started the church, it's just praying that the Lord would, would lay a scripture on us and and I really sent this is what the scripture is for our church. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord... In your Bible, if you got that out, write down the word wait, write down the word trust. Hoping, waiting, trusting are all lumped in with the same meaning. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. To guard against weariness, to guard against weariness, we got to learn how to wait. We got to learn how to hope. We got to learn how to trust. 
I gotta learn how to wait. The word wait is not a passive word. When it was written, it didn't mean where we sit back and we go, okay, I'll go wait. Okay, God, do your thing. In fact, you know, I'm so tired, I don't wanna do anything else. So God, it's your plan. Everything is under your control. I heard what the pastor talked about, so just do whatever, God. That's not what it means. Wait is an expectancy. There's almost an, an activeness that goes on in there. It's, it's a, an expectant trust to look forward to what God is about to do in the proper time. What is the proper time? God's time. And we all know that God's time is the best. Amen? God's timing is always perfect. That in due time, you'll reap the reward. So it's trusting that everything that's happened in your life, everything that you're going through right now, has not lost sight of God, has not derailed God's plans from your lives, that there's still that hope that's there, because that's, that's what we're looking for. Joe Bloom again says this, our souls only find rest in hope. That's what we're frantically looking for whenever our souls are burdened and restless, hope. That's what most of the marketing of most of the products of the world tries to offer us, hope. But there are false hopes for soul rest, providing only temporary distraction from or briefly masking the effects of our burdened souls. They don't truly lighten our loads. I think a prime example in the Bible that talks about waiting and, and hoping and, and losing this sense of and just getting tired is a guy named David. David is a young man. He gets anointed by the Lord God to be the next king, but no sooner that happens than another king, Saul, is at his back. He's, he's trying to kill this young guy. And David escapes, and you go follow the story, go read the story of David, until finally, at the proper time, David is allowed to then sit on the throne as king after 13 years. Now, if you ask me to wait, if you told me that the proper time for you, for me and my life would be 13 years, no way. <laughs> I don't like waiting. I don't know about you. Anybody like waiting? I don't like waiting. I think every time you wait, there is a, uh, a Murphy's Law to waiting. You know what Murphy's Law is? Anything that could go wrong will go wrong, Murphy's Law. It's like when you're waiting, when, you, when you're in a rush, I think Murphy's Law says, when you're in a rush um, and you're on the road traveling, you will hit every red light along the way. True or not true, right? Or when you're in a rush and, and you're going and you're following this car that's just taking its time, you rush and you speed around that car only to find that car catch up to you at the next light. Right, true, right? I think when you're in a rush and you go to the supermarket and you're in the express lane, you're counting the things in the basket of the person in front of you, but the one in front of that who only has one item, the cashier has to call up a uh, uh, price check online. <laughs> it's like whenever you're in a rush, there's always a moment you gotta wait. I don't like waiting. Well, what does it mean to wait? David had to wait. 13 years, and this is what he wrote in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. To understand what David meant, okay, here's, here's two kind of big words, okay? Hermeneutics and exegesis. Hermeneutics is understanding what was happening at that time so that you can get a good exegesis, you can get a good interpretation of what that actually meant. 
the hermeneutics of that phrase, you got to go back to the original language and original audience. The original language they used was Hebrew. And the Hebrew interpretation of I waited patiently for the Lord, they said it's actually a double wait, like a wait, wait. So if you were to write it in the original Hebrew, it'll actually say, to wait, I waited. To wait, I waited. Or waiting, I waited. What are they saying there? What he's saying there is that there's an emphasis on waiting. Like when you say, I really, 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 really waited for God. There's an expectancy. It's not a passivity of sitting back and going, okay, well, whatever, God. No, I'm waiting, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. In fact, the message translation of that same verse captures this the best. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God. At last, he looked and finally he listened. You hear the expectancy out of that? The intentionality behind the waiting? It's like if Alana, my granddaughter, comes to me and she goes, Grandpa, I want ice cream. And I would say to her, okay, you got to wait. And she comes to me and she goes, I really, 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 really like ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to wait. Yeah, but Grandpa, I really, really, really. Who's going to say no to that, right? I mean, she's willing to wait, but there's an expectancy that Grandpa's going to answer that grandma is going to give her what she's asking for. And it's the same kind of translation that David was saying about waiting for the Lord, expecting that in due time, at the proper time, this connotation is that it's not going to be something calm and peaceful. There's an eagerness, almost a desperation for God to act. And in the process of waiting, as David waited out the Lord God, the degree of his trust, grew exponentially. His character began to grow. There's a book that's uh, the bestseller in our household. Um, and uh, it's an author that I, I go back to quite often and I, I read about. Um, kind of a, a brilliant guy, you know, in putting things down. <laughs> Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. When I was in the hospital uh, just going through leukemia, I didn't know whether I was going to get out just the condition of everything. And so I began to write different things down, different thoughts about you know, my life, my conversations with God. And when I finally got out uh, and the doctor pronounced that I was healed, I thought I should put this in a book so that people who are going through struggling with things would also have some of the things that I went through. So I called it Resilient Hope, Encountering the Unexpected, because we have unexpected situations all the time, whether it's not just cancer, but it's also financial problems, it's also relational things, you know. And so yeah, I was going through this the other day and just thinking about, you know, keeping ourselves focused on hope. And uh, I recall this time when I was in the hospital, it was New Year's Eve, and normally New Year's Eve, uh, the routine in our house is we go to Frida's house and we make pigs of ourselves because Frida makes this big spread of food and I'm, you know, the shrimp tempura and the sashimi and the Kahlua pig and the what else, you just this whole spread of stuff. But that year I'm stuck in the hospital. The, the, the effects of chemotherapy is just doing its number on me. And not only with the cancer, but it 
it killed, the chemo killed all my immunity system, so all these infections were coming out in me. And the infections created this, this uh, fever in my, myself, my body. Fever that I didn't realize the body, in order to overcome that, had to go through this process of just high fever. Was so high that my body went into convulsions. And I remember literally the bed, the, I'm in this hospital bed, and it's, it's just rocking like that. And the nurses had to come in and they would shoot me up with, I don't know, methadone or something that they give to drug users. I don't know why I look on this side, but I, I, they, they give to, to drug use. <laughs> yeah, all the angels on this side, all the... <laughs> but they would, they would shoot me up with stuff to um, just calm me down. But, uh, so I was writing about that. It said, fever was having its way in me. My body temperature spiked to over 102 degrees. Chills thrust me into an uncom uncomfortable convulsive shiver that literally rocked my bed so violently that it was a scene from the classic thriller, The Exorcist. I just wanted the world to go away. The nurses changed my bedding and my clothes once, and then again, and again a few hours later. The new morning of a new year was anything but new for me. I experienced the same sleepless night lying in the same discomfort on drenched and saturated sheets. And this persisted through the remaining hours of the evening as the door swung open into 2013. I was tired. Tired of hospital food, tired of the scent and smell of hospital soap and cleansing solutions, tired of the mounds of fallen hair that blanketed my sheets and clogged the shower drain. I was hesitant to towel dry my head after a shower, disgusted at the sight of hair that I might find matted in the towel. Baldness was well on its way. I was tired of the loneliness at night, of not being able to cuddle with my son or lie next to my wife to feel her arms around me. As Joy prepared to leave after spending the day, she knew something wasn't right in my spirit. What's wrong, she asked. I'm just tired of all this, I frustratingly replied as my spirit entered the valley of despair once again. I sequentially recalled everything we had done, the sacrifices we made, what we had given our lives for, all in the name of Jesus. And yet I was still stricken by this disease. It wasn't fair, and it demanded to know why. Sensing my defeated spirit and trying to empathize with me, Joy reasoned, perhaps it's so that you'll be able to better understand the suffering of other people. So as a pastor, you will know exactly what they're going through. I don't buy that, I retorted. I know she meant well, but I was tired. I didn't want to hear anyone try to placate me with some spiritual lesson. If that's true, I argued back, looking to loyally prove my point, then every bed next to me should be filled with other pastors so they too can understand what it means to suffer. And I quickly snapped back with the names of a few pastors that in my frustration I thought should be suffering more than me right now. I won't name them. Why me? Why was I being recruited for this task, I thought. To this joy in true, merciful fashion, kindly responded. Then maybe the Lord had such faith in us to trust us, to walk the path of suffering that he walked, knowing that we won't give up. Have you ever felt like God just knocked you clear across the forehead with a holy two-by-four piece of wood and said, wake up? That's exactly what the Holy Spirit did with the words of joy. Maybe this whole ordeal wasn't about trying to understand why or trying to make sense of it all. Perhaps the struggle wasn't supposed to be a struggle after all, 
but a celebration of the Lord's trust in me. He saw more faith in me than I saw in myself. He trusted me to have the same faith that he had when he walked the road of suffering all the way to Calvary. Perhaps he knew we would be trusted to suffer so that we would also share in his glory. He said in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, on God's, that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. But I had to choose to not give up. There were no other options, regardless of how much more was thrown at me. Quitting could not be in my vocabulary. That's a pretty good author. You should check him out sometime. <laughs> but you know, I read through that and I, it just brought back a flood of memories. That there are times that you feel, man, what did I do wrong? And yet, no matter how hard I try, nothing happens. But when she said, he trusts us, it's almost like my, my mind just went, boom. You know, we say, trust in the Lord. And you know what he's saying in return? I trust you. I trust you that you're going to trust me. I trust you that you're going to trust me. Brennan Manning, in his, wrote, in his book, Ruthless Trust, he said, the splendor of a human heart that trusts, it is loved unconditionally, gives God more pleasure than Westminster Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflower, the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight, or the scent of a million orchids in bloom. Trust is our gift back to God, and he finds it so enhancing enchanting that Christ Jesus died for, for the love of it. Trusting him is the best gift we can give back to God. So here's the question. When we talk about our weariness, our weariness, our degree, our level of weariness actually hinges on this one question. Do you really trust Jesus for who he says that he is? Do you really trust that he is the son of God, that he is the healer, that he is the provider, that he is the protector? Do you really trust that Jesus is who he says he is? In Matthew 11, let me encourage you to read that chapter. Jesus talks all about the cities and, 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 and the religious rulers, religious rulers who they saw the miracles. They were right there. They saw everything he did to show that he was the son of God. And they refused to believe. And he actually chastises them. And he calls them out by name, whether they're Bethesda or Chorazin. He says this, and to you, Capernaum, you'll be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day, but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. He said, I showed you everything, that I am the Lord God, that I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah. How many of you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Not, not to put you on the spot. How many of you believe that Jesus is my, come on. You believe? You believe? If you don't, that's fine. How many of you, Jesus has shown something in your life to say that I'm the Messiah? He's shown something in your life, whatever that may be. 
Can you see all that? How much do you really believe that he is the Messiah? That's going to determine your level of weariness. Because after he says all that to the cities, he says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you see all these cities? They didn't believe anything. Even though I showed myself real, they didn't believe anything. But if you believe, come to me. If you believe, come to me. You're weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your soul. That's a really bold statement. If you believe that I am the Messiah, if you believe that I am the protector, if you believe that I am the healer, then come to me. He says, come to me. Knowing that I will carry the load for you, I will help you. See, your degree of weariness is in direct correlation to the degree that we trust that he is the son of God. Because when he says, take my yoke upon you, you know what a yoke is? Have you seen a yoke? A yoke is what holds the, 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 the cattle, the oxen together. Get a shot of that, the picture of the yoke. You got two oxen side by side. And uh, no, that's not, not I, I'm not telling you. Okay, so you got two oxen side by side. And, and sometimes people say, well, take my yoke upon you. Wait, you want me to work? Because yoke is something they use on the oxen to work. So you, you mean I got to work to get my peace? No, understand this about the yoke. The yoke is used to bring a more experienced animal next to one that they're training. So the, the more experienced animal will teach the younger one the way to go, how to work, how to carry the load. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, okay, come to me. You believe that I am, I am the Lord? You believe that I am the Messiah? No, come to me. That's what he said. Come to me. Take my yoke. Be yoked up with me, says the Lord God. And let me carry that load. Let me teach you how to deal with the things that are causing weariness in your marriage. Let me teach you how to deal with things that's causing you weariness in your life, in your, in your uh, just trying to find meaning in life, in, trying to find definition in life. Let me help you. But you got to believe that I'm the Messiah. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Because when you take that yoke upon you with me, you'll find that the burden will be easy. That's basically what he's saying. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe that he is the Messiah? Because if you believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, then how and when is irrelevant. God, I need relief from this. I'm so, I'm so burdened by this. Take my yoke off. Okay, but, but I, I believe God, but when is it going to get better? When is my husband going to come to church? When is, that's irrelevant. Well, how is that going to happen? That's irrelevant. Because if you truly believe that I am the son of God, that I can provide, that I can heal, that I can protect, that I can do all these things, then you believe that I got it. And I'll carry that for you. You see? Does that make sense? But the degree of our weariness is calibrated to how much we believe that he is the son of God. That's why we say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and you will find rest for your soul.
Okay, I got to leave you with something that's practical. This is a lot of head stuff. You know, I, I love this. I don't know about you. I love getting into stuff, getting the head stuff, theology, and make sure it's correct and all that. But I want to leave you with a practical thing that's going to help you with your weariness. Um, because we all go through life. I don't care whether you're a pastor or an engineer or a school teacher or a student. Uh, we will all go through stuff in life. Uh, I need a pen. Pen, Russell. Russell, you get pen. Russell, okay, thank you. Yeah, so um, here, here's a lesson that I've learned a, a long time ago, and uh, I hope it'll make a difference in your life. Um, we all go through life. Let's call this life. Life happens. And in life, we all get weary. We all go through things in life where, where it's going to drain us. Our, 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 our weariness tank, our emotional tank, uh, the things that we can handle, we cannot handle, if we allow it to get down here, we call that, uh, oh, I feel so empty. I feel so dry. I'm burning out. I'm drying out. Things in life will suck the life out of us. Okay? Things like um, screaming kids. Things like um, having to live with my mother-in-law. or th Things like, uh, you know, my husband golfing all the time. I don't know what's the matter with him. He's always going out golfing and whatever. But things will drain us in life. My work, my job, my boss doesn't understand. Or things in the world that's happening. And we look at all of the things, like, like Willie was saying, things on social media. Things will drain us, right? Here's the key to... Guarding yourself against weariness, a practical thing. Understanding that things will drain us in life. Well, look at what fills us. Things will drain your tank. What's filling your tank? And when you fill your when you fill your tank, you need to keep things in balance. Keep your tank full, but keep it balanced with spirit, mind, and body. What's filling your tank on the spiritual level? Spirit, what's filling your tank, your mind, and what's filling your tank bodily? Spirit level, um, you see, sometimes we do this chart. We go, okay, you got to make sure you know what's filling your tank because life is going to drain it. Oh, I know what fills my tank. Um, golf fills my tank. Can you tell I'm getting a little addicted to golf? It's getting a little caution. Frida, I need, I need counseling or something. But yeah, after, yeah, yeah. Um, but we can say, yeah, fill my tank with golfing. Well, you know, women. women. I, and I hope this isn't like a men versus women thing. But we often equate women with the mall. Yeah, you know what fills my tank? Going to the mall. If I can spend all day at the mall, that fills my tank. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. But um, think about golf. It, it, it drains really fast, right? You get a bad round, it drains. That's done for that day. You go to the mall, listen, ladies, the money can only go so far, all right? Even though it's plastic, it doesn't last forever. And so you spend stuff at the mall, it's going to be drained. So you can fill it with these things, it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Spirit, mind, and body. What are the spiritual things you're doing in your life to fill your tank daily? devotions, even if it's just reading a chapter, even if it's re reading a verse, 
spending some time praying daily. Your mind, read a book. Get off of the Instagram stuff, read a book. Read something to stimulate your mind, get your mind going. Turn off the TV, honey, turn off the TV. Uh, get, get, get a book out or something to stimulate your mind. And then your body, golf isn't bad, going shopping isn't bad, but you have to keep a balance between the three. And you start filling your tank on a daily basis or weekly basis to keep the level of your weariness or your condition, your health, high, because it's going to get drained. It's going to get drained. Married couples, I would highly suggest you do this exercise between husband and wife, and then you exchange. So as a husband, I know that when Joy is doing her devotions, even though she's lying on the floor, I won't bother her. Leave her alone. Suggesting books, I will suggest books that she can read. If she wants to go to the mall, by all means, go to the mall. Just no spend money. You can go to the mall. <laughs> spend the whole day at the mall if you want. <laughs> but I, I know what fills her tank. I know what's going to keep her from being... I also know that if she's not doing any one of these things, mm, I got to watch out because I don't want her getting down here. And she knows when I say, I'm going golfing. Okay, that's Monday. Tuesday, I'm going golfing. <laughs> Wednesday, and then she'll say, are you reading your Bible? Oh, yeah, I got to read my Bible. <laughs> but you, you'll know what each other, parents and kids, same thing. I think have your kids go through the exercise. So you know as a parent what your kids are going through, well, what they need to be filled up. Because kids will get weary. We do, right? Rocket, guys, we get weary. I mean, just family responsibilities, school, whatever. But this is very practical. You keep yourself in balance. This new season we're entering into after post-Easter is not leftover season. This is new. God is opening up a brand new opportunity. Don't allow weariness to keep you from experiencing the best that still lies ahead of you. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Battle that, man. Do this exercise. Look for ways that you keep yourself filled. Keep that emotional, that, that spiritual level up. And when God opens the door, in his time, you start to reap the rewards. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's all stand together. I'll pray.